Welcome to the EA Podcast. I'm Eric Allen, and our off-season coverage continues to roll on here in Florida Park. This is Joe Caparoso from Turn On the Jets joins us now. Joe, well, it's been more than a week since the Jets season ended, and the winter has begun in earnest. It's freezing out there. How would you describe the Jets' 2015 season now that you've had a chance to digest what actually has transpired? I mean, I would say it was a fun, entertaining season that saw some strides in the right direction, but of course ultimately ended with disappointment. I don't think many of us projected or expected the Jets to be a playoff team in August, but when you start 3-1 and one, and then when you go on that five-game winning streak in November and December, particularly after how they beat New England, they got the upset of Baltimore with Pittsburgh. I think everybody got themselves in the playoff mindset. It's one of the few situations or few times that you could go from 4-12 and 12 to 10-6 and six and still be watching those games wildcard weekend and feel a little disappointed, a little frustrated and wonder, you know, what if, what if the Jets were playing Cincinnati last week? Isn't that a game they probably could have won? And couldn't they potentially beat Denver this weekend? You know, it, it was just the type of year where a wildcard team could really make a run in the AFC. Yeah, so I watched the second game Saturday. I didn't even watch. i, I got to be honest with you, and I love football, but I didn't watch the Kansas City-Houston game because uh, for a number of reasons. I was busy in the afternoon and things like that. But later at night, that game always catches my eye. It's Pittsburgh. It's Cincinnati. It's a divisional battle. It's the third time they're facing each other. It's a grudge match. Um, did you find yourself thinking during the game, how would the Jets have matched up with the Cincinnati team? Because people asked me that during my Q&A this week, and I said, hey, listen, I don't know if the Jets would have beat the Bengals, and frankly, we'll never know. Yeah, I think that's what's frustrating about it. But you would think you're going against A.J. McCarron, a guy with limited experience, his first ever playoff start. Obviously, the Jets have one of the better defenses in the league, and Cincinnati, I think, is 0-7 in their last seven wildcard games, including loss to the Jets back in 2009. So at a minimum, that's not a game that you would have went into and been like, ah, you know, the Jets are going to be outclassed here, that that's a team was really out of their league. I think that's a game that would have been tight, probably a little low scoring, but a game that they could have had a chance to win in the fourth quarter like so many of their other games this season. So the five-game win streak after the Jets dropped that, contest in Houston and it's not looking good because after a four and one start the team is five and five what do you think uh, transpired there and and looking at it moving ahead now do you think Todd Bowles and company can take something from what happened down the stretch sands the Buffalo game minus the Buffalo game uh, and, and because you're asked about this, I'm asked about this all the time, is, hey, can you really take anything from last season because you are starting anew and there will be a lot of roster change? Yeah, I think they can learn. I mean, the positive to take is that, yes, they lost four out of five in the middle of the season, but they found a way to pivot and not let the year get away from them. It would have been easy at that point you know, to continue to spiral downward and finish 7-9 or 6-10 and 10 after such a good start. But they found a way to sort of rally the troops, adjust what they were doing. You know, we hear about how emotional and angry Top Bowles got after that Houston loss. And then they actually made some changes. You know, they cut Quentin Copel's midseason, a former first round pick that sends a message to a lot of guys. They got a guy like Quincy Duwa back from suspension and immediately got him going again on offense. 
to get Bilal Powell back healthy, and you began to see this team sort of at full strength and when they're rolling. Because then they had, then you start playing younger guys a little more like Lorenzo Malden. And guys like Malden and guys like Anula and other guys who started to play more down the stretch and play better, hopefully are going to help take this team to the next level next year and sort of build on that core supporting cast that really carried them to, you know, Brandon Marshalls and uh, Eric Deckers and Calvin Pryors and Darrell Reeves of the world. But hopefully you're seeing, you're going to see some of those younger guys really take the next step next year. And this team will learn, you know, from some of the things that led to them losing four or five in the middle of the year and then how they were able to turn around and get hot and win five games in a row. The Jets, you know this, they didn't play well in either one of those two games in against the Bills, both the 22-17 scores when we look back at those contests. But when you look inside the matchup, is there anything that Buffalo does that provides matchup problems, you think, for this team? Or is just more of a mere factor of the Jets not playing well in either one of those ball games? I mean, I think historically Ryan Fitzpatrick has not played very well against Rex Ryan defenses. Uh, you know, I think Rex has done a really good job Scheming against him in particular, I think on the whole, obviously Rex and Bill did not have a very good year, but he seems to have a good feel for how to coach against both really Ryan Fitzpatrick and Shane Gailey. He's had a good amount of success against them historically. And you look at those games, they, those were the two games where the Jets really got killed in the turnover battle. The first one, I think they had five turnovers. Uh, it's not easy to win a game. And they only lost by five points despite having those five turnovers and directly handing Buffalo points. And in the second game, they really seem primed to, you know, come back and take the lead and get a victory, and then you have three fourth-quarter interceptions. So you know, we saw this with the Jets in 2013, 2012, 2014. If you turn the ball over a lot and you don't force turnovers, it's not easy to win. And part of the reason they were 10-6 and six this year is they were able to improve their turnover margin so much. That didn't translate in those two Buffalo games. And two games that, you know, really stink when you look back at it. I mean, that, that was an 8-8 eight and eight team. You should at least be getting split with them. Uh, even though they are a division rival, you found a way to get a split with New England. You find a way to get a split with Buffalo. You're 11 and five in the playoffs. You mentioned Fitzpatrick. He sets the franchise record: 31 touchdown passes. He throws for nearly 4,000 yards. Joe, where is this team at quarterback right now? You said it. I follow you on Twitter. Turn on the Jets. It would be a major upset if Ryan Fitzpatrick is not back as a starter, and the Jets also have a pair of young quarterbacks in Geno Smith and Bryce Petty, of course. I, I would say, yeah, you have to expect Fitzpatrick to be back. It just makes too much sense for both sides for it not to happen. Yes, Fitzpatrick has his limitations, but right now the Jets should be able to get him on reasonable money. There's not many teams out there who are going to go crazy and outbid the Jets for a 33-year-old quarterback who's been on, you know, five, six different teams in the past few years, he fits very well here. He fits well in Chan Gailey's offense. He was very comfortable playing with Brandon Marshall and Eric Decker. The Jets don't necessarily have a young guy who is necessarily proven to be ready to start next year, and there's not a lot of great options necessarily out there when you're picking 20th in the draft. And it's a pretty weak free agent trade market. So you had success with Fitzpatrick. You can get him back on a reasonable deal. It's not going to constrain your salary cap. It seems to make too much sense for it not to happen. Uh, is Fitzpatrick going to replicate what he did last year? That, that's a fair question to ask. That season he ever had of his career. But maybe this offense with this personnel, he has the ability to do that for a second year in a row. And I don't see the Jets breaking the continuity that they had on offense last year. I think Fitzpatrick really won that team over as a leader in the locker room and 
they won 10 games. So it's not something that I think they're going to be in a hurry to make a change at right now. So I'd be shocked if Fitzpatrick didn't open training camp as a starter next year. Everybody talks about elite quarterbacks all the time, like they grow on trees. We know this. But Fitz, when you look back at his season, where would you rank him amongst NFL quarterbacks as far as what he put together on the field in 15? I mean, in this past year, he was really like a top 10 to 12 quarterback. It's been, it was a difficult year for quarterbacks, and I think you saw that in the first round when you had a guy like Brian Hoyer starting the game, having six turnovers. You know, Kirk Cousins did finish the season very strongly, but struggled in the playoffs, and a guy who still hasn't beat a team with a winning record in any of his starts yet. You saw a wide collection of different people who were playing by Week 17, whether it was Josh Freeman on the Colts or the Browns being down to their fourth quarterback. It was a difficult year of the NFL for the quarterback position, and Fitzpatrick starting all 16 games and you know, throwing for over 30 touchdowns and keeping his interception total generally to a manageable number really probably put him in the top half of the league, at least just looking at a one-year sample size from last year. So the question becomes, can he do that again? Uh, can the Jets maybe build up the offensive line and get a little more consistency at the running back position and hope some of their younger receivers develop alongside Marshall? Maybe that lifts him up. Teams will also now have you know, another year of tape of Fitzpatrick and Shangeli working together in the Jets' offense and the schedule. While I think people are overstating how challenging the schedule could be next year, it will be a little more challenging in that you're going to have to go against an Arizona defense, a Seattle defense. It will be an interesting you know, thing to see if Fitzpatrick can – somewhat approximate the numbers that he did for the Jets this season. And if he does, they should be back in the mix for a playoff spot. Yeah, the Jets have been clear about it. They want him back. Fitz was in the locker room at the end of the season, Joe. He told everybody, I want to be back here. No surprise there. So, you know, let's see if both sides can find a landing spot and when that might happen. Potentially, though, offensively, I've been here for a long time. I don't remember the Jets being this set at receiver yeah, uh, I started in 2001, and I've seen some good guys come through here. And, and, and you know, Lavernius Coles, the Santana Mosses, you know, obviously Santonio Holmes had some uh, big-time production, clutch production, uh, Braylon Edwards. Uh, you know, the list goes on, but where the Jets are at receiver right now, uh, you, you know, obviously uh, I'd be remiss if I wasn't uh, mentioning Wayne Corbett either uh, towards the end of his career. But... Where the Jets are at at receiver right now, do you think this is the best spot for them in a long time, considering you got Brandon Marshall coming back, Eric Decker coming back, uh, Quincy Inunua was a factor in the run game, and I thought he made, took steps down the stretch as a receiver. And then a guy I know you're getting asked about a lot is rookie Devin Smith, who unfortunately had a few injuries here in his first season, but the Jets do like his skill set. I think I mean I think the production you saw from Decker and Marshall last year was the best we've ever seen for a Jets receiver duo. And it's fair to argue that Brandon Marshall had the best individual single season maybe in franchise history. And neither of those guys what's encouraging is that those two guys are still in their prime. Neither of them missed any significant time last year. They got better down the stretch. They didn't show any signs of um, slowing down. There's no reason to expect that their production is going to fall off the cliff next year. So you know you're set with Marshall on the outside and Decker working through in the slot, and that's one of the best duos in the NFL. Beyond that, obviously you want a couple other options to develop more consistently in the passing game. Quincy Newell plays a very unique 
role in the Jets offense where he is sort of a tight end, H-back, wide receiver hybrid. It just has so much athleticism and potential. You saw that speed when he got in the open field against New England in Week 16. It's just a matter of him getting more consistent catching the football, getting more consistent with his route running. We know how he can block. We know how he can run in the open field. And I look for the Jets to try to find a way to make him more involved around the red zone. He didn't have any touchdowns this year. And someone who's more consistently involved. Devin Smith is going to have a tough road to climb because he tore his ACL in December. You hope that he finds a way to get back to training camp. He just has so much potential. And there, there were a few opportunities for him down the field this year. This year, that's just, you know, Fitzpatrick missed, so they didn't get connected for whatever reason. But I would urge Jet fans, just how we were urging him not to write off Calvin Pryor after one year. A lot of people were calling him a bust. Don't do the same thing to Devin Smith. These guys, sometimes it takes a year or two. And Smith missed all training camp and all preseason last year and began to show some flashes down the stretch. And he can be a guy that, at least by the middle or end of next year, should hopefully be a big factor for them with his speed. And then beyond that, you also have a guy like Jason Morrow coming back, who showed a lot as a rookie and is going to have to prove to this new regime where he can fit in the offense. But that's a big guy with a lot of athleticism who called a ton of passes in college. And I'm sure Sam Gailey can get creative and find ways to integrate him into the offense. Yeah, I like that parallel there when you're talking about Smith and mentioning Calvin Pryor. We'll get to the defensive side of the ball here in a moment. Running back position, very interesting offseason ahead for the Jets. Chris Ivory comes off his first 1,000-yard season as a pro. He was tremendous, especially early in the year. And then the Jets' offense really got a spark from Bilal Powell during that second half of the season. And unfortunately, Powell not in the lineup against the Buffalo Bills. And you could see a big-time difference when he was not on the field both those guys could be unrestricted free agents in March. What do you think about the situation there at the running back spot? I think it's wide open. I think you made a really good point about Powell. It was just night and day when the Jets had him in their offense, and he just looked so fast and so shifty in the open field last year, almost like a completely new player from the guy we saw early in his career. But they have some difficult decisions to make. You can't expect to bring back both Ivory and Powell. And, you know, running backs are a fairly replaceable position in the NFL. We see a lot of late-round picks and undrafted free agents starting a lot of playoff games right now and leading a league in rushing. I do think it's going to be hard to bring Chris Ivory back. I think after his first 1,000-yard year, that price tag is going to go up. And I think the Jets may just say, you know what, we, we saw how Bilal Powell can reduce. We're going to get him back at a lower rate. We're going to see what else is out there in the free agent market, and maybe we're going to look in the NFL draft. But you can't pay everybody. It's going to be difficult to see the Jets find a way. I mean, Ridley is also a free agent, too, and I would probably only expect one of those three guys to be back. And I would say Powell is probably the favorite, you know, I would say, to be back in 2016. It's funny. I'll tell you what. That was uh, under the radar signing McCagnan re-upping uh, Powell in the offseason because I know a lot of people were concerned about the Jets' speed at that third down running back position, the quote-unquote third down back. But, you know, to me, Bilal Powell showed more explosion last season than he has throughout his career. Not saying he was not quick before, but I thought his speed was better than ever in 2015. Yeah, I mean, his ability as a pass catcher out of the backfield and, you know, even just kind of, you know, as a runner when the Jets spread, Steeled out. It, it was a game changer for them during that five game winning streak, and it'd be great to see what he can do over the course of a 16 game schedule. He was never really fully healthy last year, missed, I think, like six, six and a half games. 
and still caught 47 passes. You know, you're playing for the entire season. That could be a guy who catches 80, 85 passes in this offense, contributes another six or 700 rushing yards, and he's not going to come overly expensive. You know, he just got him on a one-year deal last year. You know, he missed a decent amount of time this year, so it's hard to see him really begging, breaking the bank in the free agent market that also has Ivory, Lamar Miller, Matt Poite, a few other big names out there. So the Jets should be able to get him back on a pretty reasonable deal and then hope that he can stay healthy for all 16 games. Defensively, I liked what you said about Leonard Williams. You brought up Mo Wilkerson in his 2011 season when comparing the rookies. You thought Leonard did a fine job, a stout against the run, and you think that as we proceed here that you'll see his pass rush production and third uh, third down production increase uh, as he gets more snaps in the NFL. Yeah, it was really hard not to be happy with what you saw from Leonard Williams. I think he met the expectations, which were pretty big expectations, coming with the sixth overall pick. His production very closely mirrored what we saw from Mahalo Wilkerson back in 2011 in his rookie year. And that's obviously a pretty good guy to be hopefully modeling the year after. You know, Williams was immediately scout against the run, did get three sacks, and, and showed some potential as a pass rusher. And you hope that next year he's more of a guy who's a factor on some of those third down passes and can get you know six, seven, eight sacks, kind of have that jump that Wilkerson did from year one to year two. And now you look at him now, he's a guy who had 12 sacks this past season. So it's hard for the Jets not to be happy with what they got from Williams, and he gives them a lot of flexibility in the defensive line and even more depth than they already have. Speaking of third down, what do you think about Malden and the role he carved for himself as a pass rusher and maybe uh, what you see from the Louisville product moving forward now? Malden, uh, really, a guy who got hurt in week one and then hit the ground running when he came back in the middle of the season. I think a guy only played in about 11 games and still had four sacks. So for a third-round pick, to play in sort of a part-time role where I think he ultimately only played about 25% of defensive snaps, and still produced the way he did, very encouraging for a middle-round pick. And I'm going to think that the Jets are ready to have him become a full-time defensive player. We'll finally give them some speed and athleticism off the edge, something they've been looking for for a long time. And, you know, if he goes from a guy who's playing 20% of defensive snaps to a guy who plays 60 70 80% of defensive snaps, there's no reason that he can't get near seven, eight, nine sacks in his second year because he should only get better as an all-around player and as a pass rusher. And he should really be the Jets' top guy off the edge next year. Hmm. David Harris, steady as a rock uh, at that inside position, playing the Mike linebacker. Uh, the Jets use rotation, a rotation system down the stretch with Demario Davis and Aaron Henderson. How do you think that worked out, and how do you think potentially uh, the Jets could shape up on the inside as we move forward? I mean, David Harris had a bit of a career renaissance. I mean, he never really fell off. Too much, but he played as good as we've ever seen him play last year. Again, a guy who seems to fit really well in top of defense, and you could have made a fair argument that the Jets might have overpaid for him a little bit last offseason, but he produced to that contract, remains a key part of their defense, and the Jets' best all-around linebacker, which he's been seemingly forever now, uh, since being drafted by the team in 2007. Alongside him, uh, you know, we saw Demario Day start to lose playing time to Aaron Henderson down the stretch, really by the end about a 50-50 split. And Henderson's a guy who was very productive in the past for Minnesota, and it wouldn't surprise me if the Jets tried to find a way to bring him back on a short-term deal and see if he could run 
with that starting position alongside David Harris, and then maybe look to add, to add some young talent in the middle rounds to develop behind Harris and David, similar to how they did with Malden. They took Malden in the third round and started out behind Pace and Kobold and some of the other guys on the edge by the middle of the season he was playing more than he's expected to start this year. Maybe you do a similar thing at inside linebacker where you roll with Henderson and Harris. You get a guy in the middle of the round to learn behind the two of them and hope that he's ready to start by 2017. Jets totally revamped their secondary in the offseason. We knew that was going to happen. Uh, Todd Bull said we got to fix our corner issues. Uh, Mike McCagnan went out, re-signed, uh, well, brought Darrell Rivas and Antonio Cromartie back, of course, um, and added safety Marcus Gilchrist, who was a perfect fit for this team, a real heady ball player, tremendous off the field is the way he approaches the game, and he's the quarterback back there. But two guys I want to focus in on are the one person you said made a jump, Calvin Pryor. Why? Was he such a different player in your mind in year two? And the second one is Nickelback Buster Screen, who not only plays the toughest spot, I think, probably on the football field, but he became an effective blitzer for the Jets, especially in their third down package. Yeah, it was great to see Pryor take that next step. I think he had some rookie bumps and a learning curve and was sort of forced to play a little bit out of position which never let him really play to his strengths. And Todd Bowles just kind of let him loose this year. He had him up in the box. He had him uh, playing almost as a hybrid linebacker safety at times. But still, there were times he was a one safety. He was able to pull in a couple interceptions, had that big one against Dallas in the, in the end zone, and showed himself maybe to be a little more versatile than we all expected. But his bread and butter remains coming downhill, uh, you know, tackling in the run game, tackling in the short wide receiver screen game, and, he was all over the field, and a guy who really, I think, helped bring the Jets' defense to the next level and should only get better with another year in the system as he gets more comfortable as an all-around safety. Screen plays a very unique and important spot in top of defense. You know, the nickelback or the slot corner is a full-time starter, basically. The Jets always have three corners on the field. And, you know, screen, whether it's blitzing, up, blitzing off the edge or, you know, providing coverage of the team's slot receiver, is just a critical part of that offense. And, you know, regardless of who is – you know, bookending him on the outside will remain a critical part going forward because of the playmaking ability he brings from that slot corner spot. Do you think the division's getting better? When we look at the whole AFC's landscape, uh, the Patriots, of course, won another division title. They're playing uh, divisional uh, playoff football this weekend when they host the Kansas City Chiefs. The Jets go from four to ten wins and make a big-time jump in the first year under... Mike McKagan and Todd Bowles still fell short of their ultimate goal of the playoffs and competing for a championship. The Bills, I think, have a talented roster, but they went from a nine-win team to an eight-win team. With that being said, they still won four divisional games, and then Miami is kind of starting anew with uh, a new ball coach down there as they try to get things uh, set up. Do you think the division as a whole is getting better? Are the teams closing in on New England, or you still think the gap is substantial? I mean, I think it's still all about New England and the AFC East and how these other teams can find a way to beat them. You know, the Jets were the only other AFC team who found a way to beat New England this year, able to get a split with them. But 
you say, hey, you know, they could have won that first game in the They win one of those two games against Buffalo. Maybe they're in discussion for a division title next year. I would say the Jets are the closest. They beat New England last year. They're going to have a lot of stability coming back with their, you know, rookie coach now coming back in year two, whereas Miami will be starting from scratch with a new head coach, uh, you know, trying to bring in a new offense, Ryan Tannehill. So that's a difficult process, though. I wouldn't necessarily expect them to be, you know, ready to compete next year. I mean, that's a team who was swept in the AFCs last year, and really most of those games weren't even close. They were destroyed and basically all of them. Uh, I'm sorry, they did beat New England in week, in week 17, but who knows if New England really had their foot on the gas in that game. So 1-5 in the AFCs got swept by the Jets and the, uh, and the Bills for the Bills. I, I mean, you just got to look at, you know, Rex's recent track record after, you know, what he did in 2009-2010, which we all remember, and was a great run. He's now on five straight years of coaching a team that doesn't make the playoffs. And we've seen the owner change, we've seen the general manager change, we've seen the offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, quarterbacks change. Five straight years now of not making the playoffs. So history would say that that team is probably still going to hover around 8-8, eight 7-9, and 9-7. Eight, and and Let's just hope that Fitzpatrick and Daly find a way to be a little more effective against Rex's defense and the Jets can improve their divisional record above 3-3 three and, three and get themselves to be a 4-2 and 5-1 team in the AFCs. We just talked about the roster, but from a personnel standpoint, I know a lot of folks are already asking you about the draft and the 20th pick, and I'm like, whoa, we got to get to spring first, and Mike McCagnan is addressing the media here in Florham Park on Thursday. What do you think the Jets have to do before they get to the draft? I mean, I think they have to look at their roster and make some decisions. I mean, you want to try to keep your own talent as much as possible, and I think who they end up keeping or who they end up signing in free agency will maybe dictate some of their strategy at the NFL draft. Obviously, you always always want to take the best player available, but you're not toned up to what positions might need a boost or what positions might need more depth, particularly in the middle round. So I think it's going to you got to see how the negotiations go with Ryan Fitzpatrick. Do they franchise Mo Wilkerson? Do they find a way to get a deal done with Damon Harrison? That could dictate what route they end up going with that 20th pick. I think you're going to see a lot of people mock draft an offensive tackle, Ezekiel Elliott running back from Ohio State, or maybe an edge rusher to the Jets with that 20th pick, along with throw the names of some quarterbacks out there, whether it's a Carson Wentz or a Paxton Lynch. I think it's kind of wide open right now, and I think after we see what the Jets do in February and March in terms of their own roster, we might have a better idea of how they're going to attack that 20th pick. I know McCagnan had a lot of money to spend last spring, Joe, but he did a hell of a job, and the Jets personnel department did a hell of a job considering all the guys they brought in here. So many people came in and contributed immediately and made major or took on major roles for the Jets in 2015. I thought it, when you look at his offseason, it was spectacular. Yeah, I think he's definitely a guy who's in the discussion for being the executive of the year. Anytime you, you know, your team moves from four and 12 to 10 and 6, and so many guys that you bring in produce it the way they produce. Brandon Marshall, for a fifth round pick, has over 1,500 yards and 14 touchdowns. Ryan Fitzpatrick, ultimately for a sixth round pick, has 30 plus touchdowns in the best year of his career. We already mentioned what James Carpenter and Marcus Stokrip and Buster Screen brought to this team, and those were all the cabinet free agent signings. And the rookie class, you know, showed production and showed some future potential between what we saw from Leonard Williams, Lorenzo Malden, and Devin Smith. So really did a nice job in making over this roster to be competitive in the short term, but still having the flexibility to build long-term 
Uh, and we'll see more of that as they approach the NFL draft with six picks this year and maybe not quite as much spending in free agency in the trade market. But they still have enough flexibility where they can bring back some of their own talent and be active players at a few different positions. All right, two final ones. Bryce Petty. You know, fans obviously are going to ask a lot of questions about any quarterback. And they asked me this throughout the year was, hey, how much is he developing right now? And I said, well, you have to listen to the coaches. You have to listen to Chan Gailey and Coach Petulo as well because bottom line is the media is only allowed out there at the beginning of practice. It's not like training camp where you're watching two and a half hours. You're watching a half an hour, and that's team stretch and special teams, and you're off the field. And, you know, you still labeled uh, Petty as a big-time project, and I thought he came into a good situation because nobody was putting a ball in his hands on opening day and said, hey, listen, Bryce, you got to go out there and win us, win us uh, some ball games. The big thing Patulo said was for a college quarterback coming in, it is so different because you have to know what the defense is trying to do to you where – at Beller, you're looking over to the sideline, the play comes in, and boom, ball's coming out. Sometimes it's one read, sometimes not even a read. You know where you're going, and you're getting rid of the football. So for Bryce, obviously a big-time learning curve. What do you want to see from him in the spring, the OTAs and training camp as we move on now? I think you want to see more consistency from him on a day-to-day basis in practice. I think you want to see him improve from this preseason to last preseason, and then have the coaching staff be confident enough in him that he is competing for that number two or backup spot. I think this year he was unquestionably going to be the third quarterback. He was never in a serious discussion for me to be the primary backup. Geno Smith took that role back as soon as he was healthy. So as Teddy progressed enough where the team is comfortable letting him compete for that primary backup spot and then maybe ultimately be that guy. And it was a fourth-round pick, so... Fans have to be patient and temper expectations a little bit. It's not like he was a guy taken at the back end of the first round or a second-round pick. Either. He was a middle-round pick. So he's in a good situation where he can learn from Fitzpatrick, learn from the guys in front of him, learn from the coaching staff, and let's see if he could actually throw his hat in the ring to be the backup this year. All right, who do you have this weekend in the divisional playoffs, and who's going to be playing in the Super Bowl? I, you know, I hate to pick New England, but I, I just can't go against them in a home playoff game right now particularly if Jeremy Macklin's not going to play for the Chiefs. In the other game, you know, Big Ben banged up, Antonio Brown might not play. It's hard to pick against Denver at home, particularly with that defense. I know it's not crazier outside the box, you know, picking the two uh, home teams, but I think Denver and New England will advance. And I do think Denver has a really good shot to beat New England in their building, as they already did once this year at home in the AFC Championship game. Certainly I will be rooting for that to happen, uh, full disclosure. And then in the NFC, I think – even though that they're the one seed, too many people are still sleeping on Carolina. I know a lot of people will pick Seattle this weekend. I think Seattle's going to be banged up after playing in that frozen tundra slugfest game against Minnesota where they barely escaped. I think Carolina will take care of business at home, and I think Arizona will take care of business at home. And then I do think in the NFC Championship game, I would probably go with the Cardinals, uh, a team who, outside of uh, you know maybe one game down the stretch, will completely dominate and just has so much depth and talent between veterans and rookies and younger players, I think we could be looking at a Denver-Arizona Super Bowl this year. Yeah, and I'm sure that would make Todd Bowles happy to see his, one of his mentors, uh, Bruce Arians, get there and play for a championship. And hopefully Bowles and company are competing for 
the Super Bowl next January. Joe, we're going to follow you at Turn on the Jets, as we always do. And thank you so much today for uh, your time, your analysis. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Eric.